0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Crosstown. For those of you who are new, my name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to welcome all of our locations as well as our online viewers. We're so glad that you're with us as we continue our series on the heart of Christ. Over the last four weeks or so, uh, we've been diving into some of the New Testament passages of Scripture that speak to not only who Jesus is, but how he feels towards us, how he feels towards sinners and sufferers. What is the heart of God for you and I. And I've really enjoyed this series. As I said in week one, it's briefly based off of the book Gentle and Lowly, uh, which many of you were able to get a free copy of. And in one of the chapters of that book, there's a really fascinating chapter that talks about the friendship of Jesus. It's titled A Tender Friend. And so I titled my message A Friend of Sinners, a friend of sinners, which reminded me you can YouTube this later. I'm not going to show you the video now, but you can YouTube Jesus is a Friend of Mine by Sunseed. If you've seen it before, you're welcome. <laughs> you know how some songs should like be retired? That might be one of them, but it it provides so much entertainment throughout the generations. It brings you back to the 70s and probably the 60s. Uh, so you can do that later, but we're going to talk today about friendship. And and what I want to do is help us consider our own relational circles of friends. The the friends you have in life, believe it or not, could probably be mapped out on these concentric circles, which we'll do today. Um, For example, there are some people in our lives whose names we know, uh, but are really on the outskirts of our life. Uh, We call them uh, acquaintances. (laughs) my spelling's not good, so we're going to abbreviate that one, okay? And uh, these are people you don't really talk to that much. Uh, You probably aren't really involved in their life until they need something from you or want to sell you something, okay? (laughs) These are the the acquaintances. And and then from there, you still have other friends who enjoy hanging around you and you with them, but you're not BFFs right? You, you, you like each other, but for whatever reason, maybe it's a season of life or uh, a closeness and proximity and where you live to them. Um, they're they're kind of just casual friends. So we got these casual friends. I, I can spell that one, okay? So we're moving into the center of the circle. And, and, and then from there, uh, you, you might have some friends that move from just being acquaintances to casual to being some, like, some good friends, right? Maybe these are people Uh, that you still keep in touch with from time to time. Maybe you have a meal with, you know, every once in a while, maybe a couple times a year. Perhaps you're, you know, in a small group for a semester and you see them at church. You're good friends, but there's, there's not much depth to the relationship. You can't get too deep because you don't have enough time to spend with those people. And then there are some of us where we have like one or two people, maybe a few people that God has put into our life that we're blessed to have, that we can go deeper, that they do know us and we know them. We can ask for prayer and they could ask for prayer from us. These, These are more close friends. Okay, so we have some close friends. You see, what we're doing is moving towards the center of not only our circle of friends that are really tight, but the circle of who we are as well. If you were to do this mental exercise and, and plot out all the different friends that you have, where would they land? I want you to give that thought some attention. I want you to think about it for a moment. You know, for me, uh, and this is probably similar for you, uh, I have a lot of people sort of on the outskirts of, of my life. Uh, to be exact, I have 1,000 193 friends, quote-unquote, um, on Facebook. <laughs> and by the way, not all of them are friends. I don't even talk to them. They're, I don't know if you, if this is true for you, but if you go through your list of friends on Facebook, there might be some people in that list who you don't even know. Have you ever done that before? Someone pops up on your Facebook feed and it's like, I'm not sure when we became friends, right? You, you you might not even know their name. They're just kind of somehow a part of your life. And so we all have this. And then there are quite a few people who I really enjoy hanging out with. Um, but while we enjoy hanging out with each other, I'm not going to go to them in a time of crisis. Um, I'm not going to share really intimate information with them. They're just kind of buddies, and, and, and we hang out every once in a while. And then there are a handful of guys uh, that are much closer to me, uh, that I can ask for prayer, I can go to when I'm in need, and they can go to me when they're in need, and we can pray for one another. And I've been blessed over the last um, quite a few years now to, to actually have even a closer, deeper friendship with several guys that I, I meet with on a regular basis that not only allow me to grow deeper in my faith, but keep me accountable, uh, hold me, spur me on, and it's, it's really, really great. Now, there's a couple things that I noticed while doing this exercise that I think are worth pointing out. The first is the obvious one. The further you get into the middle of the circle, the further you go, the more and more you get to the middle of the circle, the smaller the circle gets, meaning a couple things. While you get deeper in your friendship with each other, you have very few friends that go along with you on that journey. There's fewer friends, the smaller the circle becomes. And and, and in some ways, that's, that's very natural. But you have a lot more on the outskirts of your life. The second thing this exercise might bring up is some painful memories. And the reason why it might bring up some painful memories is because For whatever reason, God brings people into our life that kind of flow in and out of our lives, in and out of circles, maybe in and out of our lives completely for a season for whatever reason. So I want you to think about it. For those of you who are older, for those of you who are older, how many friends from grade school or high school are you still friends with? Right? I think about my own journey of friendships. I I can go all the way back to my kindergarten days, you know, my memories. I can think of the friend or friends that I had in kindergarten. How many of them have stuck? Not many. (laughs) Not many. In in fact, I I had friends in elementary school I don't even talk to, not even Facebook friends. Um, I have zero friends from high school. I have some of them on Facebook, but we're just acquaintances. Uh, Same with college. Just a couple friends that I keep in touch with, but they're more, you know, casual or maybe, maybe some are good friends. But in large part, a lot of the guys from, from my college days are, are acquaintances. And then, even in grown-up stage, even in the grown-up stage, isn't it true that people come in and out of our, our lives? Um, I've, I've had rather unsteady friendships as an adult. Either because we have moved, we've moved from Wellsville to Texas, to Texas to Wellsville, to Wellsville to Rochester, and just because of proximity and uh, where people are at in their seasons of life, you naturally lose those friends, or simply because the people were only meant to be in my life for a season, they they go in and out. Here's the point: it just goes to show, church, how difficult it is to make and maintain real, deep, close, intimate, significant friends in your life, let alone a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I bet over my lifetime, I've had at least a double, dozen couple friendships that have, uh, that have either failed or have simply ended because we grew apart. And I, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that I'm not alone. I'm guessing that I'm not alone in that. Maybe for you, though, the pain is even deeper than just looking back and seeing friends go in and out of your life. Um, As Dane Ortlund points out in his book, I love this quote. He says, who in our lives, or actually, I want to start with this. Listen to this. You won't see this on the screen. Walking through this brief thought experiment ignites pockets of mental pain. Some of us are forced to acknowledge that we do not have one true friend, Someone we could go to with any problem knowing we would not be turned away. Okay? Now now listen to this. He says, Who in our lives do we feel safe with? Really safe. Safe enough to open up about everything. Here's the truth there's a lot of people in this room who, if they were honest, do not have an answer to that question. But what if you could? What if you did have an answer? What if there was a friend who was at the center of your bullseye right here? Well, as we're going to see today in God's word, there is a friend who is meant to be in the center of your relational concentric circle bullseye. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. So if you have a Bible, turn with me there. Otherwise, you can just follow along on the screen. I want to look at this one verse and just kind of break it down for this morning's message. It says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton, not a gluten, <laughs> a glutton, and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, Now, it's interesting that the, the people that Jesus is quoting here are the antagonists in this story. These are the people who do not like Jesus. In fact, they call him a drunk. But I want you to notice something. They also say that he is a friend of tax collector's And sinners, a friend of sinners, which, by the way, was not meant to be a compliment, a compliment that you and I would attribute it to ourselves, that we're a friend of sinners. They didn't like Jesus, nor did they want to be friends with Jesus. What I find really interesting, church, is not who Jesus is quoting, but rather who is quoting Jesus who is quoting someone. Does that make sense? In other words, these are Jesus' words, but we need to remember it's Matthew's gospel. Now, why is that significant? Who is Matthew? We know from Scripture that Matthew was one of the very sinners, and more specifically tax collectors, that began to follow Jesus. A tax collector in that day was a whole other category of sin other than prostitutes and sinners. It had its own category because of how evil they were and how much they took advantage of their own Jewish brothers. Matthew was one of the tax collectors and one of the sinners that Luke's gospel says in, in verse 1 were all drawing near to hear him. And so I. I wonder what was going through Jesus's or Matthew's head as he wrote Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. I wonder if tears began to fill his eyes as he began to remember the day when Jesus said two words to him in Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, that have forever changed his life. And those two words are, follow me. A man who didn't expect grace from another Jewish brother because of his past sins and what he was doing to those people got grace. He received grace from Jesus and Jesus lavished it upon him again and again and again. Here's what I want you to know, church. Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And not only did he draw near to those tax collectors and sinners, but the main point here today is he befriended them. He reached out to them. He, he initiated a relationship with people who did not deserve it. Consider this Jesus. Consider the friendships that Jesus had. For, for example, consider the friendship with Lazarus, okay? He, he had a friendship with Lazarus. Lazarus, as we know from John chapter 11, died. And when Jesus's friend Lazarus dies, what does Jesus do? Shortest verse in all the Bible. Two words, ready? Jesus wept. If you've ever had a friend die or a family member die, someone that you were really close with, the, the, the burden that that does to your soul, the brokenness that it does internally to you, you know what Jesus is going through here. He's weeping, he's feeling emotion for his friend. And everybody around sees this. The Jewish people see this. And in the very next verse, we read the response. Look what it says. They say, see how he loved him? Don't you see how Jesus loved his friends? Don't you see how he loves us? Church, he is tender. He's compassionate. He's emotional. He draws near. He initiates He's concerned for his pre- friends. He's present in their troubles. His tender friendship comes in all kinds of forms in our life. Uh, sometimes a friendship with Jesus provides a calming peace in the midst of a troubling storm, as we see in Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus speaks to the wind and waves by saying, Peace, be still. And not only do the wind and waves die down, but the, the trouble and the anxiety in the disciples' heart dies down as well sometimes a friendship with jesus strengthens our hearts to persevere when things in life are not going well as we read in john 16 verse 33 where 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 jesus says in this world you will have trouble it's gonna happen you will have trouble but take heart why do we take heart because a friendship with jesus allows us to know that he has overcome the world And yet there are other times where a friendship with Jesus produces in us a conviction, draws us back, because we're out of alignment, he draws us back into alignment with him as he had to do with his own disciples. You think of Peter, when Jesus rebukes him, what does he say? Get behind me, Satan. You do not have the things of God in mind. He rebukes him. He does what the spirit of Proverbs uh, 27.6 says, where it says the wounds of a friend are faithful. There, there's a wound of a friend that he gives to us that is faithful because he's looking out for our own good. This is Jesus. But regardless of how Jesus' friendship manifests itself in our lives, no matter how it works out, I just find it so amazing that Jesus is actually a friend of us. Isn't that amazing, church? I really think that a lot of us would benefit from thinking and meditating more and more on the faithful and true friendship that Jesus provides. You see, it's one thing to understand that Jesus is our Savior, which is what he wants us to embrace and and, and walk into and step into, but it's, it's a whole other thing to understand that Jesus is a friend, an actual friend of sinners who draws close to us. The scriptures speak about this in John chapter 15. Let me show you. John chapter 15, verse 12 says, uh, Jesus is speaking. He says, this is my commandment that, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, which is exactly what Jesus did for us. And then he makes this amazing claim. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So what we see is that Jesus displayed the greatest love in the history of the world when he laid down his life for us. And then what does he do next? He calls us friends. He calls us friends. He invites us into a friendship with him. If, if... You do what I command you, if you do what I command you. How do you know that you're a friend of Jesus? If you obey him, if you follow him, if you love him, if you honor him, if you follow his commands. Um, Let me just point out, this is not to say that we can somehow earn our friendship with Jesus uh, any more than we can earn our salvation with Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith, and it is a gift of God, not of works. We're also given a friendship with Jesus by grace, through faith. So I'm not saying you can earn your salvation or friendship with Jesus. What I am saying is that a friendship with Jesus will always produce in you a life of obedience. In short, a friendship with Jesus will lead to a transformed life. I want you to stop and think about that thought for just a moment. Because when you compare and contrast that with the ways of the world, very different. Um, compare this with how friendships usually operate in this world. Most friendships, at least on some level, uh, to some degree, you need to meet certain expectations in order to maintain that friendship, right? Um, You do for me and I'll do for you. You hold up your end of the bargain and then we'll keep being friends. But if you ever had a friend where you didn't hold up your end of the bargain or maybe they didn't hold up their end of the bargain, the friendship breaks apart, Totally opposite with with Jesus, totally opposite. It's through his friendship, actually, with us that even allows us to meet his expectations. It allows us to meet his commands because a friendship with Jesus always produces a changed life. It leads to a transformed life. You see this over and over in the scriptures. In fact, when you look at every single person who had an encounter with Jesus, who became a friend of Jesus, entered into a, a friendship with Jesus, their life was totally different. From that point forward, think about the disciples, right? These these disciples who followed Jesus for three years were no longer the fishers of fish. Jesus turned them into the fishers of men. You you think about the the woman at the, the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, where Jesus speaks truth into her life. She goes back to the village, and she becomes a great evangelist, telling everybody and so many people in that village became a Christian because of what she said about Jesus. Amazing. Um, you think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Again, tax collectors were hated people. They cheated their brothers out of a lot of money. And Zacchaeus, what does he do when he meets Jesus? He, he repays what has been wrong to people. He gives away half of his possessions It's a transformed life. You think about Saul of Tarsus, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, is struck down to his knees, is seen the light of Christ, and he becomes the greatest missionary in the history of the world. When you enter into a friendship with Jesus, your life is transformed into his image. These people's lives were completely different, and the same is true with us. The more and more we walk with Jesus as a friend, the more and more we enter into his image. We're transformed and changed by the glory of God. Now, with that said, I love the balance that uh, Dane Ortland provides in his book. Um, You can find this on page 118 or just follow along on the screen. But this is what he says in Gentle and Lowly. He says friendship is a a two-way relationship, which I, I do love how John chapter 15 draws that out because Jesus calls us friends because he doesn't treat us as servants keeping certain information from us, but he actually reveals everything that the Father has revealed to him, he gives to us what a friendship is. He's totally open with us. He holds nothing back, and he says it's a two-way relationship of joy, comfort, and openness that appears as distinct from a one-way relationship such as in that of a king to subject or parent to child. To be sure, and this is the emphasis, be sure though, Christ is indeed our ruler, our authority, the one to whom all allegiance and obedience are reverently due. And I love this phrase, as he is our friend, so he is our king. But equally, and perhaps less obvious or intuitive to us, the condescension of God in the person of his son means that he approaches us on our own terms and befriends us for both his and our mutual delight. That's an incredible thought, church, when you stop to think about it. Jesus wants to be my friend. Jesus actually wants to be your friend. It's incredible when you stop to actually give thought and attention to it. And so, yes, while he is our king, yes, we say amen to that. We can also say with confidence that he is our friend. But the only way, the only way you're a friend of the king is because the king was first a friend of sinners. Isn't that great? The only way that you and I actually can enter into a friendship with Jesus is because the king of kings stepped down and became a friend of people who did not deserve it. The tax collectors, the outcasts, the worn out, the weary of society, the lepers, the the prostitutes, the people who didn't deserve grace in the world's eyes. But the king of kings befriended them. I'm not sure how many of you know this. I've shared my testimony before, but I'm not sure if I've ever connected my story with how uh, this message relates to us. Um, As I was reading this and preparing for this message, I just had this thought this is so central to my life. This idea of what we're talking about here, that Jesus is our friend, is so central to how I became a Christian. Uh, for those of you who know my story, I became a Christian at the end of my ninth grade year. And, and I, one of the reasons why I think I, 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 God I, or how God led me to his heart was because I had nothing else. He had gotten me to the point where he knocked me off of my feet. I landed on my back, and the only place I could look would be up. And God orchestrated certain things in my life where he put a mentor in my life to share the gospel with me. But at that point in my life, it was the lowest point in my life because... Everyone had left me. Literally, my friends had betrayed me. I didn't have any friends. I was alone. And it was that moment that the gospel was shared with me. It was at the end of my ninth grade year. School ended, and it was totally silent from my friends the whole summer. And looking back in light of what we're learning today, I don't know where I would be. I don't know how I would have gotten through that summer without a relationship with Jesus. And over and over and over again, over the course of a quarter of a century that I've walked with Jesus, walked with my king and my friend Jesus, he has proved himself over and over again. He is faithful. He is true. He is tender. He is compassionate. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He, for me, is at the center of my bullseye. What I found was when everyone else, when everyone else left me, I found a Savior who would never leave me nor forsake me. And that is really good news. This is Christ's heart for us, church. As Dane Ortland says in his book, he says, He will be our never-failing friend no matter what friends we do or do not enjoy on earth. He offers us a friendship that gets underneath the pain of our loneliness. While that pain does not go away, its sting is made fully bearable by the far deeper friendship of Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. And you have this friendship with Jesus because he drew near, he initiated, he doesn't leave you, he will not fail you, he was always there for you, he's always comforting you, he's always present, he makes you feel welcome, he actually enjoys being in your presence. I think that's incredible. For those of you who kind of grew up in the church, you might remember the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Remember that hymn? Maybe you sang it today. It says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. You know, what's interesting about that uh, hymn titled, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, is that phrase, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, only appears one time. Only one time. The term friend really only appears a couple times. And and, and so really the, the hymn could be renamed to take it to the Lord in prayer. Because when you have a friendship with Jesus, that's exactly what you do. You talk to him. You bring all of you to him without the fear of ever being rejected, which you and I have probably experienced before people rejecting us when we do truly get open and real. The funny thing about this concentric circles of friendships and relationships as Even though you go closer to the middle, the more and more you become real with people, you never really totally get fully naked and exposed and intimate the way that God sees you. And Jesus knows you, even in your deep and darkest past, and he still calls you friend. That, to me, is insane. That's just unbelievable. So... what a friend we have in Jesus. What kind of friendship would you have with someone that you never talked to? Not much at all, right? In fact, if if you never talked to that person, here's what you would do. You would take that person who used to be very close to you and you put them on the outskirts of your life, and they would become an acquaintance. But don't you see, church, that when we we don't draw near to Jesus, when we don't talk to Jesus, when we don't commune with Jesus, fellowship with Jesus, spend time with Jesus, have a devotional, quiet time with Jesus, essentially that's what we're doing. We're putting Jesus on the outskirts of our life, and he then becomes an acquaintance. Perhaps a savior, perhaps a Messiah, perhaps a good moral person, but he's not your friend. He's not your friend. So here. The application is, is very simple from this morning's message. The application is simply this. You need to know that you have a friend and king in Jesus. As Jesus is your king, he's also your friend. You need to know that. Some of you have never really given thought to that. Perhaps you're, you're older in your faith, but you've never given thought to this. Perhaps you're younger in your faith. This is what you need to know. You need to know that you have a king who saved you, who redeemed you, and also calls you friend. That's an amazing thing. The other thing that we we get from this in the application from this message is not just no, but you need to start talking to your friend and king through prayer. So you Spend time with him in prayer. by, By the way, this isn't just talking to God through prayer. A relationship is mutual, right? It's where you talk and where you listen. It's not really a friendship if all you're doing is talking. He wants you to listen. And he's already given us the words to listen to through his word. So we get to know him by having a relationship with him. Honestly, I am so thankful for the friends that I have in my life. But if you think about it, I wouldn't have those friends and you wouldn't have the closest, deepest friendships that you do have and value in your life if you took your lead from this culture who does not value friendship. And not only would you not have those deep, closest friends, the good friends, the close friends, you wouldn't have Jesus at the center of your bullseye And he was meant to be in the center of your bullseye. He was meant to be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. So who in your life do you feel safe with, really safe with, to be real and open about everything? I know for some of you, no one comes to mind. As we did this painful exercise, no one came to mind. No one came to mind to be in the center or at least around the center. Here's the good news of the sermon. You at least have one. And that one is all that matters. Jesus should always be the center of your bullseye, the center of your relational circle. So even when no one else is there, even when everyone else abandons, you still have Jesus. And what you'll find is that he is always enough. As we uh, invite our our, uh, praise scenes to come forward, I want to close us in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your friendship, your your tender friendship towards us to come alongside of us in our moments of grief and and despair, trouble and hardships. And put your arm around our shoulder and give us a a chest to cry on where we can listen to your words, peace be still. Where we can listen for your Still quiet voice of conviction. I want to thank you, Lord, for being present in every part of our lives. We we do confess if friendship is a mutual thing, we have not been a very good friend. We have not listened to you. We have not felt the things that you feel. We have not yearned for you. And so I pray that more and more we would do that that this would become an active part of our life, just as you are a friend of sinners, so we would become a friend of the Most High King. For it's in his precious name we ask this, and all God's people said, amen.